In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, chapter 6, verse 16, we read these words. This is what the Lord says. I want you to stand at the crossroads and look. I want you to stop at this crossroads and I want you to look at the options. I want you to look at this intersection, if you will. If I go that way, or I could go that way, or this way. I want you to stop and I want you to look. And then I want you to ask. This is God speaking to his people through his prophet Jeremiah. I want you to ask for the ancient paths. I want you to ask about how people have known me, walked with me, how I've responded to them. I want you to ask for you and I. He says, I want you to look to my word. I want you, I've recorded it for you. You realize the Old Testament's a whole lot bigger than the New Testament, isn't it? There's a whole lot there of God recording for us, preserving that we could actually ask about the ancient paths. How has this worked before? He says, I want you to stop, look around, look at the situation, ask, and then ask where the good way is. And this, I believe, is his direction up to him, saying, now, you've done this, you've looked at my word, you've considered this, now look to me and ask me, Father, what's the good way? What's the way you want me to take? And then he says, walk in it. Make your choice. Choose your path. And the result will be that you find rest for your souls. Now I know this, sound, this is going to sound like an old man thing. I've said it before. But I have come every year of my life. Every time the number of my years gets longer. It gets bigger that number. By the way it's really fun to tell your 8 or 9 year old grandchild your age. Because they just look at you like. Whoa. How is that possible? Every year that I get older, I come to value something more than ever before, and it's rest for my soul. Rest for my soul. My values have changed as I've gotten older. There was a day where I, I, I valued a little bit more in the bank account, or I valued a little bit newer car, or I valued, you know, and I can lay out the list. And rest for my soul was in there, but I'm strong, I'm young, I can keep going, I got stamina. Spiritually, physically, he says you'll find rest for your souls. If you come with me back to the book of Galatians, we come to chapter 5 this morning. The Galatians are at their crossroads. They're at their crossroads. We could take Jeremiah 6 and, and put it right into Galatians. And Paul, I can hear Paul saying, okay, Galatians, here's what you need to do. You need to stand at the crossroads. You need to look. You need to ask about the ancient paths. You need to ask where the good way is. And then you need to walk in it so you can find rest for your souls. Because clearly at this point in their journey, they do not have rest for their souls. They're in turmoil. As we've been talking about Galatians, we've broken it up into these three sections, chapters 1 and 2, Paul is, is arguing with them historically. He's looking at their history together. He reminds them of their history. Remember when I came? Remember the gospel? Remember the journey that we've taken together? He argues with them histor historically, their journey with him, with the gospel, with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. In chapters 3 and 4, which we just wrapped up last week, he argues with them theologically. He says, I'm going to use the very scriptures that these Judaizers are using and saying you need to, to, to respond to this way. And he goes through the word of God and he presents a theological foundation why Jesus is superior to, to trying to be circumcised and follow the law or any kind of system. He argues with them theologically. And this is an argument, isn't it? The book of Galatians. Have you picked up on that? It's almost like we're in a courtroom. And Paul is presenting his case. 
In the last two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, he's going to argue personally. He's going to argue with them from his own journey, his own testimony, his own story. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, would you join me there? Let's read verses 1 through 6. It'll be behind me on the screens. Bring it up on your phone. If you don't have a, an app for your phone, you know, see, see just about it. Maybe turn to the neighbor right now and say, hey, I don't have an app on my phone. You version, the Bible app. Get that on your phone. You can follow along on your phone. Or some of you will remember what this is. This is called a book, the book, and you can open up there to Galatians chapter 5. Christ has liberated, literally he has set us free. He has liberated us to be free. That seems like a, like a redundant statement, doesn't it? What it actually is in, in Paul's, his, his method here of writing and the Holy Spirit leading through him is that it is, it is a double declaration. He wants to make sure that we understand what he's saying. And, and I, I want to encourage you as we read through our, our verses 1 through 12, 13 this morning, that you are, you are seeing it through the eyes of Paul and everything that you know about Paul and his background and his story, what he was before Jesus, what he is after Jesus, read it with that lens on. Because this is the man that the Spirit is using to write these words. And it's coming personally from his own story as well as the Holy Spirit. God has liberated us to be free. So stand firm. Stand firm then and don't submit. Don't give in. Don't become entangled or ensnared again with the yoke of slavery. Now I want you to take note. I don't want you to miss this. I, Paul, I'm telling you, this literally it's the, it means to witness my testimony. I'm telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, if you give in to the demands of these false teachers, and you physically become circumcised, you obey their commands, then Christ will not benefit you at all. Wow. Did you catch that? There, there's, there's, no, there's no benefit. Literally, there's no good for you. Why is that? Because he's saying if you choose this, then you're rejecting this. It's, it's, it's one or the other. Well, it's just, it's just being circumcised. It's not a, no, 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 no. If you choose to give in to that way of thinking, that belief, then you're rejecting what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Now, again, who's writing? It's Paul, right? It's the Apostle Paul. We remember what we know about Paul. You can read it in, in Philippians 2. He gives his testimony. Or 3, maybe Philippians 3, the testimony of what he was. This guy was sold out to the law, was he not? He was sold out to being a Jew. And all that came with it, being a part of God's people. He was a Pharisee. He had Galatians, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy memorized. Literally, word for word. That was a requirement to be a Pharisee, to be officially recognized. you got to choose this or you choose that. If you get yourselves circumcised, then Christ will not benefit you. He's no good to you. You're looking, let me say it this way, you're looking somewhere else for what Christ is giving you. What Christ offers us on the cross, rest for your souls, righteousness with God, if you're going to choose this over here, then you're choosing to get that or find that in that, and you're saying no to what Jesus is saying, I'll give you freely because of his grace. Again, I testify. Again, I, I, I just, it's like I'm on a stand and I'm giving 
a witness. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he's obligated to keep the entire law. You have to buy into that whole system. It's not just the physical circumcision, but it's living out the law perfectly. And who can do that? Nobody. Not even Paul could do that. That's why he uses the word, you're going to get yourself ensnared if you submit to this. Every man who gets himself circumcised, he's obligated to keep the entire law. You, you who are buying into this, you who are trying to be justified, you're looking to yourself, you're depending upon your own ability, your own choices, your own life. Those of you who are trying to be excuse me, justified by the law are alienated from Christ. And it's the word to sever. You are severed from Christ. And you, oh, this is such a, such a haunting picture. You're alienated, you're severed, you're cut off from Christ, and you have fallen. You've literally run aground. You've fallen from grace. You've shipwrecked your faith. You know what happens to a ship that gets caught on the, on the rocks, Right? And the waves just, the waves of life, the storms of life beating. If that ship is your life and you're making choices and you get grounded on rocks and the waves begin to, what happens to the ship? What happens to that life? It breaks up. It just literally, and then all the, 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 the remains of that life are floating in the water, washing up on shore. That's the picture he's painting. It's okay. I hope it wasn't something I said. It's okay, we're a family. You've, you've run aground, you've fallen from grace. Because it's through the Spirit, and now he's going to remind them what he's been saying all along. This is very personal for Paul. It's through the Spirit, by faith, that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What man does, what people do, what we can do is not what matters. What matters is our faith working through love. Those words sound familiar to you at all? They should. If you've been a part of this church for very long, you know that we have these words on our back wall. Here, here's, how, here's how I want to say it. This is Paul's argument. And I can't make it any simpler than this. It, it, at least it resonates with my own heart. Paul is saying you need to live by faith. You need to be known by love. And you need to be a voice of hope. It's a choice. You can, you can either choose this, this life of, of, of trying to obey the law. And trying to do all these right things. Or you can throw yourself on Jesus Christ. Well Paul what does that look like to throw yourself on Jesus Christ? Well it looks like this. In Christ, nothing we do matters. What matters is faith working through love or faith inspired by love. It's our love for God, our love for Jesus that stirs in us. It's Paul's love for what Jesus had done for him. What Paul has that maybe is, I don't know if it's unique, but it feels unique at least. Paul is, is this person who lived is, hit almost his entire, into adulthood, living by the law. That's all he cared about. And, and, and he was so passionate and so zealous that when somebody came along and said, that system is not going to work, what you need is grace from your creator. For God so loved this world that he gave his son, and his son has come. And his son is named Jesus. He's a carpenter's son from Nazareth. 
And he is the anointed one. He is the promised one. He is the one that, Paul, you study in the Old Testament. It all all pointed to this moment. Now he's here. And he fulfills the law. Man, what a paradigm shift for Paul. And and he he couldn't make that shift, could he? Do you remember? What I need to do I just need to kill enough Christians that believe this that I can discourage them and make them fall apart and, and dis, dis, disintegrate and go away. Isn't that what he, what he did? You remember? As Stephen was being stoned, we see it first there. He gives approval to this young man being executed. Why? Because he says Jesus is everything. Jesus is going to give us, he's offering us what we cannot earn on our, on our own. It's a lie that says I can somehow bring even a little bit to the table so that when God says, okay, Kurt, let's, let's check you out. Well, I, I, I sent my son to die for you. I know, and I love that. That's awesome. That's great. But take a look. I'm just saying. This, this my life, not physically this, because you're all like, what is he talking about? No, I don't mean this physically. I mean this life, how I'm living my life, has to be better than these people over here, right? That has to count for something. And God says, no, it doesn't. Because whatever you do, whatever you can do, whatever you do or don't do, accomplishes nothing. What matters is faith working through love. You see, it's through the Spirit, Paul says, by faith. We put our faith in Jesus, and the Spirit begins to work in us. And as he does that work, we are now waiting for the hope of righteousness. What is the hope of righteousness? The hope of righteousness is the already but not yet. You see, in my, in my standing, if I die right now, I go to be with the Father, because I'm adopted into his family. I'm, I'm his. But you know me in this, and you're like, hold on, Really? Because I know there's some flaws there and there's some rough edges and I know there's some choices you're making and some of your thoughts and some of your motivations and, you know, I'm not seeing it yet. You with me? So in my standing with God, when I come before the throne, the Father says, he doesn't say this, but imagine if you will, he says, who is this? And Jesus says, that's Kurt. He's one of ours. Okay, great. And my advocate, Jesus, is there to bring before the throne of grace me. My request, my needs. And if I don't know what to ask for, the Holy Spirit speaks on my behalf. That's my standing right now. But I'm still a sinful man. And I still struggle and I still hurt. And I don't want to get up in the mornings because my body doesn't want to cooperate. And and this is changing. I see what sin is doing. And can we see what sin is doing to our world? So what's the hope of righteousness? The hope of righteousness is that this standing we have in Christ now will be fully realized when we're with him. And I will literally stand before Almighty God, the creator of the universe, my creator. I will stand before him. I will stand before him without condemnation, without judgment for my sin. I will stand before him forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ and sin will be removed pain and death will be removed we're told that we're given a new body amen Amen. (laughs) all the older people said twice amen (laughs) you know all and fully the righteousness of Jesus is applied to me and I stand before God and I look at him and he says I'm satisfied 
I'm satisfied because of what Jesus did. He covered you. Enter into the, the joy of your master. Be with me forever. Is that hope? That is our hope in Christ. Live by faith. Be known by love. Be a voice of hope. You know, we are, we're, we're like the Galatians in different ways. It shows up in different ways, but we're like the, the Galatians. We, we struggle just taking Jesus at face value. We want to add stuff to it. And, and I wrote down a thought this week that's been bouncing around in my head, and I want to share it with you because it's just, it's this. Our faith working itself out each day, rooted in our love for Jesus as we hope in the promise of his righteousness. I just, I wanted to write down a statement that captivated it for me. What does it look like? What is Paul asking the Galatians? What is God asking me to do? How is he asking me to live? Live by faith, be known by love, Kurt, be a voice of hope. So it's my faith working itself out each day in the moments and the circumstances that I face. Is your faith challenged every day? Mine is. Every morning, every afternoon, every... Rooted in my love for Jesus as I hope in the promise of his righteousness. If you want a title, if you like titles for messages, I have one and it's going to reveal my age, but it's this, how deep is your love? How many know that? How many, how many people, that, the melody just popped into your head? How deep? Okay, good. Anybody, anybody over a certain age? How deep is your love for Jesus? Because it's my faith working itself out each day, rooted in my love for Jesus. As I hope in the promise of his righteousness. Look at verse 7. Oh, Galatians, what happened? Can you just pause there for a minute? What happened? You, you, you look at your own life. Look what's happened over the last 18 months or so. How have we individually, I'm not saying, I'm just asking you and me to think. How have I reacted to that? Where was I before 2020? Where was I with God and where am I, am I now? Listen to his words to them. He says, you were running well. You were running strong. You were running the race. You were headed for the finish line. What happened? Who prevented you? Literally means to be cut off. You ever been cut off on the freeway? Or on the road? Or the, what's the, the thing where you're yielding, you know, coming on? That's the one that always, you know, I've spent time in the shoulder sometimes. You know, trying to, you know. You're, on, you're, you're going somewhere. You're on a trip. And then somebody cuts you off. That's the picture. He says, what happened? Who prevented you? Who cut you off from obeying the truth? You were running so well. You were on the race. I'm telling you, this persuasion, this argument, did not come from the one who called you. This is not from God. He can't make it any more clear than that. What you've been, what you've been hearing, what these Judaizers have been calling you to do, it's not from God. And here's, here's the sobering warning, and we need to hear it today. He says, a little bit of yeast, just a little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. Why does he say that here? He's, he's saying it because you just take one thing that's not the truth, one thing from the world, one thing from a false teacher, one thing that's not from Jesus. It only takes one thing to come in, and it doesn't just stay in that one area of life. You, you with me? Can I get real personal? Guys? I can just watch this thing on, on my computer or on my phone. It's not, it's not, it's gonna, I'm going to keep it contained right here. Aren't we, aren't, gentlemen, aren't we really good at trying to compartmentalize? 
I can, I can behave this way at work. I can talk this way at work because, after all, that's what's necessary in that kind of setting. But when I come home, I could go on for a long time, couldn't I? About examples of we just, he says, a little, just remember that a little yeast, just opening the door a crack, choosing what you, what you're, the shows you're watching on TV, eh, they're a little questionable, you know. Confession time? We have that little remote thing. I'll just, I'll just fast forward over the scene. But what happens? Four or five scenes later? <laughs> you, am I the only one? I'm just, oh, but it's a good movie. <laughs> oh, I want to see how it ends. He says, just a little yeast. You just crack the door. Paul talks about the armor. If you just have one piece of armor missing, you just have a chink. You just have a gap. But here's the principle. A little yeast, when it, once it's put into the dough, what happens? It spreads through the whole dough. And can you stop it from spreading through the dough? I'm not a baker, but I think I understand that principle. You can't. It's in there. You've got to throw it away and start over if you want no yeast, if you want unleavened bread. Yes? He uses an example that hopefully we can connect with. He says, here's, here's what's so important to understand. A little yeast, just one thing. I'm not rejecting Jesus, I'm just adding this. I'm just going to be circumcised. What could it hurt? I want to cover all my bases. Ha <laughs> ha. We were only three days old, I mean, right? Hopefully. Not Abraham. <laughs> Remember Abraham? As an adult. A little yeast leavens the whole lump of dough. Now, Galatians, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you'll not accept any other view, that you'll come to your senses, you'll come to recognize this truth. However, whoever it is that's confusing you, troubling you, disquieting you, stealing your rest. See, what's happened is they had, they had fallen on Jesus and the gospel message that it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And it's, the work has been accomplished and that's what they receive. And they're living in that freedom. And then these Judaizers came and said, hey, that's great, but you've got to also do this. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to live by the law. You gotta... Now, all of a sudden, this freedom that they had, this peace, this rest, is all in turmoil. Because now, am I good enough? Did I do enough? Am I doing it Right? Is God pleased with me? Am I good with God? Well, yeah. Jesus said, yeah, you are. Over here, resting in him. He says, whoever it is, these, and he, some scholars think he doesn't know the, na the actual names of the people or which teachers came to per the particular cities in Galatia. So he doesn't name them by name, but he said, whoever it is that is confusing you, troubling you, disquieting you, they will pay, they will suffer the penalty. What's he saying? He's saying God is going to take care of them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? To settle things. He says that's not the point, but just know this. This is important to God. That when people are pulled away, if you will, called away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's consequences to those teachers, to those speakers, to the sources of that false teaching. Can I say it this way? And maybe this will help us. If we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer the good news. 
Did you hear that? If I add anything to the gospel, anything to the work of Christ and what he offers by his grace to me through faith, if I add anything to it, it's no longer the good news. You know why it's no longer the good news? Because now I'm responsible for my salvation. I'm responsible to somehow make it, make it right with God. We add anything to the gospel, whatever it might be. You remember Paul said in chapter 1 of this book, he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. It's not even a gospel at all. It's not really even good news. Evidently, there's some people that are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. They're adding to it. I'm telling you, if even an angel from heaven should show up on Sunday morning at Crossroads, an angel shows up, he's glowing, he's in white robes, and he preaches a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. The punishment, the penalty. Because any time we add to the gospel, it no longer is the good news. He continues, and remember, this is his personal argument, and he continues and says, now brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, because I did, I did, right? That's his, that's his past, right? You with me? If I still preach that message, I still preach circumcision, the law is the way of God, the way to God, why am I still being persecuted? If that was the case, the offense, in the Greek it's scandalon, that sound like a word to you? The scandal, if this was the case that I was still preaching, we need to add circumcision to the gospel, to the cross, the message of the cross. In that case, if I was doing that, the offense, the scandal, the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. It's no longer an issue. What's the issue? Grace is the issue for us. Can we acknowledge that in our minds, at least in our hearts? Grace is the issue for us. Nothing in our lives except the gospel is based on grace. Right? We, the, 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 the closest thing to it is the marriage covenant. Right? Everything else in life is, is contract-based. The marriage covenant that God gives us in Ephesians 5, he associates it with the gospel, with the church and with Jesus Christ. And he says it's not a contract, it's a covenant. Here's what it looks like. And it's based on grace. Would you agree? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but hold on. Does that include my wife? Do you know what my wife's like? Do you know what our past is? Do you know what our present is? Do you know how she treats me? Do you have... Hold on, it's based on grace. Husbands, love your wives, period. Amen? Sounded like more women said amen. That's good. I was trying to listen to the pitch of the voices. Wives, ooh, <laughs> submit. Okay, don't look at me like that, ladies. I, I didn't write something like, you know. No. Submit to your husbands like the church submits to Jesus in everything. But you don't know my husband. You don't know his leadership, his lack of leadership. You don't know his character. You don't know. It's based on what? It's based on grace. Right? That's the closest thing we have in our life. Outside of that, the only thing that stands upon grace is the gospel. It's his grace. And that's, that's, the, that's the, the scandal of the cross. You're telling me that what happened 2,000 years ago, this, this carpenter's son, this man, this rabbi, this teacher, who claimed to be God, 
sent by God, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. I can't even fully understand that. You're telling me that, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son and he was born in a woman, in a womb of a woman without a man. Okay, that's, okay, I'm trying, okay, that's, trying to grasp that. He grew up, he went to the cross, and he wasn't, he wasn't executed, he actually gave his life. He allowed his life to be taken. And then he was the body was taken down and buried in a tomb, and three days later he came back from the dead. And then 40 days later he went back up to heaven, and right now he's sitting in heaven, wherever that is, at the right hand of the Father. And what you're telling me is that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is who he is, that he's Lord, that he's God, and we believe in our heart that the Father raised him from the dead, that he actually conquered death, if we confess, if we believe, then we are saved. We are right with God. That makes no sense. I gotta do something. You see, Paul understood. Paul understood the scandal of the cross. A man who had lived his life to be good understood the stumbling block of the gospel in the hearts and minds of people. He says, if I'm, if I'm adding to the gospel and I'm doing this thing that you claim, I'm doing with these Judaizers, then there's no, more, there's no more scandal to the gospel. It's Jesus plus whatever we bring to the table. Okay, we're good, right? Let's close in prayer. We don't need to worship this morning, Nate. Okay, okay ready? Let's go. That's what he's saying. He's saying, well, then it's all in this... Now, we know that he, he is saying that that's not the case, right? I wish, <laughs> look what he says next, I wish that those who are disturbing you might also get themselves not just circumcised, but, anybody want to say the word in church? Castrated. It, 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 means, to, it means to mutilate, it means to amputate, it means to cut off. Wow, Paul, we're in church. I wish that these, 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 these leaders that are saying you need to be circumcised, you need to, to remove that part of the physical body so that you can take steps towards being right with God, I wish they would just go the whole way and... It's a, it's a metaphor, it's a picture, right? He's not going to do it. But he's trying to... Con this is personal for him. Oh, I wish they would, uh, what he's saying is I wish they would just go away. I wish they would maybe be amputated, cut off from the Galatians. Because you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. The gospel is good news because it sets us free. That's where we started, right? He has set us free to be free. He says the gospel was, was presented to you so that you would be free. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but use it to serve one another through love. See, the, the, the reality is any system that we buy into, any, any faith, any religious system, any set of works, anything that we bring and we add to the gospel, the reality is this, I'm at the center of it. I become the center of it. You with me? If my life view, my worldview is... Well, you know, do more good than bad, and you'll be okay with God. Who's at the center of that philosophy? Me. Yes. If, if, I, if I keep all the rules, and I, and in essence, God's going to have to let me in because I've been good, who's at the center of that way of life? 
me. Anyone you want to throw out, we can lay it out, and I'm at the middle. The only exception is the gospel. Who's at the center of the gospel? Jesus Christ. He's at the center of the gospel. You've been set free. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity to put the flesh, put you back at the center. But serve one another through love. The cross offers peace with God. It offers rest. The law steals our peace. It steals our rest. I want to ask you, I've asked myself this week, what is it that steals your rest? What is it that keeps you up at night and you can't go to sleep? Or when you wake up in the morning, you're not super excited. Maybe you don't even want to get out of bed. What is that? Maybe Maybe it's several things, right? Maybe it's a list of things. What is it that's stealing my rest? What is it that is stealing my freedom? Because if I believe that Jesus is who he claims to be and what he claims to have done for me that he did, and I'm putting my faith in that, I'm living by faith, I'm going to be known by love, I'm going to be a voice of hope. If I'm living my life there, then I have peace. doesn't mean I'm, I'm free from problems or struggles or challenges or pain or even sometimes fear and anguish. But do you know that you can have peace in the middle of a storm? I've experienced it. I've also experienced no peace in a storm. What is it that keeps you up? What is, what is it that captivates your mind? Your, for some of you, I think this will make sense, your mind is not at rest. You know, some of you know what that means, right? Your mind is not at rest. There's not peace in your thoughts. Here's, here's Paul's challenge to us and i already said one but let me add another one he's calling us to live by faith be known by love be a voice of hope here's how i would phrase his call in these last these last verses we've read is he says i want you to use your freedom to live a crucified life you can live you can use your freedom for the flesh or you can live your life you can use your freedom to live a life that's crucified with christ do you remember him saying that do you remember how he said it I'm I'm crucified with Christ. Back in chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I'm now living in this body, what you see day to day, my interactions with people, the choices I'm making, the way I spend my time, my money, how I exercise my passions, the life that I'm living, my eating, sleeping, drinking, working, pursuing things, the life that I'm now living, Paul says... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And here in chapter 5, I believe he's bringing that all together and he's saying, I want you to live, use your freedom to live a crucified life. Don't give in to the flesh. Now he's going to unpack this in the next couple weeks. You know what's coming, right? The works of the flesh are next and then the fruits of the Spirit. That's all going to root back to this. He said, you've been set free I want you to use your freedom to live a crucified life. Follow my example. Again, it's personal for him. I was into all this. I was caught up in all this. But I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Jesus said it this way in Luke 9. Some of you will remember he's talking to his disciples, and he says to them, if anyone wants to come with me, if you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple, you want to live by faith, be known by love, be a voice of hope, 
then here's what you need to do. You remember what's coming. You know what's coming, right? He must deny himself. He must take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, hold on to his life, keep control of his life, that person will lose it. But whoever gives up his life, loses his life, because of me will save it. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, use the freedom that I give you to live a crucified life. So that the life you're living now in this world in 2021 is no longer you living it, but it's Jesus living in you and through you. That's freedom. That's freedom. Do I know what to do for our world to make our world fix our world? In, in a short answer, I can say, yes, it's Jesus. But do I know how to bring that about? No, I don't. Do I, do I carry the, the weight, as you do, of the brokenness in our lives and in our families, in our marriages, in our children, in our grandchildren, in our government, in our education, in our financial institutions, in our education, every aspect of life. Do you see the brokenness? And do you go to bed at night carrying that brokenness? What do we do? What do I do? How do I fix this? How do I survive this? Paul says you use the freedom that God's given you in Jesus Christ, and you hang on to that and that alone. Stop trying to add anything to it. Just embrace his love for you. Live by faith. Be known by love. Be a voice of hope. And the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, use that freedom because now I can choose. Use your freedom to live a crucified life. So here's how I'm going to navigate the brokenness of this world. The life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. And it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, how, do we, how will you know when I'm doing that, and how will I know when you're doing that? Come the next two weeks, because that's what he's going to, he's, he's just going to lay it out. Read ahead. No, there's no, it's read ahead. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Got it? I didn't get it? Got it? Good. We need some time to take what God has spoken to us about, and we need to respond and, and listening to this message this morning is worship. Giving God your time, your heart, your mind is worship. Later when we gather around the Lord's table, that will be worship. What we're about to do right now, and we use our voices, we use our hearts, this is worship. And this is a moment for you and I to say, okay, God, I've heard your spirit speak to me. Now help me work that through. What does it look like for me to go from this place? And to use the freedom you've given me and to live a crucified life. So we're going to declare it. You with me? We're going to declare the freedom that we have in him. And we're going to ask him as we sing this morning, as we, in various ways that we worship. This is your time, your time with God. My time is done. Amen? Okay, good. Wow, that was a little enthusiastic. My time is done. Let's listen to God. Let's engage him. Let's hear from him as we worship him together.